Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. moonpig.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello and welcome to the Psych Legal Pop podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and a therapist. I'm Brooke Brigham. I'm the attorney. And I'm Tess Brigham. I'm the therapist. And today we are going to be talking about the Hulu docuseries, Daughters of the Cult. And um, <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> This is a five-hour warning, a five-hour um, docuseries. It is good. It mm -hmm. is disturbing. Yes. Yeah, so trigger warning to anyone. Yeah. It's about, like, yeah, a about polygamous abuse. cult. Um, and this, this there, well, there's two families um, in this um, documentary that are both directly related to Christine Brown. Mm -hmm. She is very, very close to these families. And in fact, one of the narrators of the series is, This woman, Anna, I'm sorry, I didn't even write down her last name, but um, Anna, who is the daughter of like the ev evil protagonist in this story, Ervil LeBaron, she looks just like Christine. Mm -hmm. Did you see the pictures? Of, someone put online a picture of both of them on their wedding days. They look mm -hmm. like twins. Not so much maybe now, but like when uh, they were younger. Yeah, they look exactly alike. They showed a lot of pictures of Anna when she was a teenager and stuff. And um, so, yeah, they're like first cousins once removed. Wow. So it's a very close relationship. And, and Christine has ties to both the families that are presented. Correct. She has ties to the LeBaron family and then the ties to Ruland family, who was her grandfather. The Allred family. Allred, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so the 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 docu series is mostly about this family, the LeBaron family, who um, were a fundamentalist. They were the head of a fundamentalist um, Mormon Mormon religious cult. Religious cult yeah, mm -hmm. uh, pr primarily based in Mexico, um, and so there were I don't know how many brothers, eight nine 
brothers, LeBaron brothers. One of the brothers is Florin LeBaron, who is Annie, Christine's mom. Uh, her na- sure, her birth name is Ruth Ann LeBaron. Mm-hmm. Um, that's her father. So Annie's uncle is the evil Irvin, Irvil. <laughs> names because his name is very close to evil yeah you always want to say evil <laughs> and he is evil yeah but his yes. name is Ervil. but so there's that, an r in there so Ervil <laughs> is christine's great uncle mm-hmm. so that's her maternal side and then on the paternal side her grandfather is rulon allred who was the prophet of the aub church the church that the browns mm-hmm. were in some of them i don't know if they still are um, and, you know, which is also a fundamentalist, um, Mormon polygamous cult that the Browns have tried to sanitize mm-hmm. on the sister wives show. And I got very upset about this because I feel like they tried so hard to sanitize their church. Their church is involved in like horrible things. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Annie, Christine's mother, left the church she was part of a documentary of many years ago uh, women who had left these um polygamous cults and she said her life was hell she said she she knew that if she left she'd be going to hell but her life was already hell mm-hmm. so what was the point point? and anna's sister celia says something very close to that as well in mm-hmm. the documentary like if, yeah. if this is already hell so if i'm going to hell then hey at least it, i'll enjoy my yeah. life here Exactly. And Annie was talking about um, the amount of abuse and the secrecy and the oh, what other words was she using? She used the word abuse mm-hmm. quite a bit. It was abuse. Yeah. In so many different ways. Yeah. I so mean, many different ways. So many different ways. Ugh. I mean, I don't even know where to start. It's so, it's ve- it's a very disturbing story. And all I could keep thinking about was just going back to sister wives. And it's like, Oh my God. And, and Christine always acted like her childhood was wonderful. She even says that she's, I can remember multiple times her talking about how wonderful her childhood was. And it's Mm -hmm. like, really? Your mom had, had to leave, you know, left like before you even graduated from high school because she couldn't take it anymore. I mean, what is going on? What alternate reality is Christine living in? I don't know. I mean, what's interesting is the Sister Wives was really right a an answer to what was going on with Warren Jeffs and the FLDS, right? And so the Browns were supposed to be this, see, polygamy is okay, and it's not all FLDS. And then you hear these stories, and you're like, well, you're not any better. Right. You're fundamentalist. Yeah. You're not any better than this person over here or this person over here. I mean, we have yet to hear about one of these groups that seems like a great place to be, especially for women and children. Anyone who calls themselves a fundamentalist anything, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have you? uh, Hello. I mean, fundamentalist Christian, fundamentalist Islam, fundamentalist. Fundamentalist is a bad word when it comes to and I don't even religion. quite understand. I know what the definition of fundamental is, but when I hear fundamentals, I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? What's the difference between a fundala- fund- fundamentalist Mormon and a Mormon? Well, the f- the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, the traditional Mormon, they, I mean, they're not fundamental- yeah. fundamentalists. So fundamentalists is like these offshoots of that. 
And I guess it means like, you know, to me, it always means stricter, more, Mm. more um, radical, more Mm -hmm. severe. At least that's what I know about radical Christian and Muslim groups. You know, they're... um, you know that they're out there on the fringes in terms of yes. their ideas and and their activities and whatnot. So, and there have been many, 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 many reports from the AUB, mm-hmm. the Browns Church or former church, of you know all kinds of child abuse, abuse, yeah. uh, child exploitation of children, uh, and child labor mm-hmm. that comes up in Ugh. this uh, documentary yeah. as well and it also came up cody's nephew that guy ben yeah. brown and you we talked about this on yeah. the podcast i he, cannot remember how far back i mean this was an early early episode early yeah, sister he Wife's was, episode we talked about this yeah he was on a pod i heard him on a podcast <laughs> talking about how you know he basically was trafficked for child labor by his own family he um you know was working just insane hours, not getting any sleep, really not going to school, not getting paid anything. Mm-hmm. And he escaped, you know, yeah. he, as soon as he could, he just ran away from home. And that's what a lot of the girls in, in this documentary do as yeah. well. You know, yeah. it's like, but first they have to realize they're in a cult because yes. they said that most of them, they don't know any other life. They don't know any other way. I don't think any of them were really going to school. I don't know how they could have gone to school. They were constantly moving around because this was a crime family. Mm -hmm. This was no different than the mafia. This was a crime family who was always running from the law and having to move from place to place. So I don't know how they ever got any sort of education. Yeah. Um, Because they were indoctrinated very young, being told that, you know, you're the special ones, you're chosen. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's like any other brainwashing or grooming that someone does, which is we're special, but no one understands us and, you know, be scared of cops and anybody in authority. They're out to get us and using this idea that's hanging over their heads of, you know, if you don't do this, then you are not celestial and that means that you're going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a lot of, what was it? Was it the... um, God, I can't remember because I remember learning in in high school that what always stuck out in high school history was <clears throat> old U.S. history was that just the belief that I can't remember what, what religion it was, but this belief that you should suffer in this life mm-hmm. and that once you get to heaven, you'll be rewarded mm-hmm. and this idea. And I'm thinking, God, they must have used these same tactics, like work really hard. Don't be yeah. happy. Don't question anything. Puritan, thank you. Yeah. You know, this idea and and what I think is so interesting is even though we're years away from founding this country, we're still very much Puritans. Mm -hmm. We still kind of keep going back to this belief or this idea that you have to suffer in this life in order to, you know, get something on the other side when when in actuality, no one knows what's on the other side. No, really. no one's come to report back. I mean. Yes. <laughs> so we're all just believing what we've been told or what's been written down in somewhere. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, as we see, Ervil was mentally ill. Yeah. So it's a, of a madman, which he yeah. was. I mean, they called him the Mormon Manson. Yeah. Because he was a madman. He so. was. He wasn't. He was a criminal. He would, like I said, it was a crime family. And, um, it probably worse. I feel like there was, you know, 
even the mafia seems to have some sort of code of yeah <laughs> no, code of conduct. I'm just saying that the mob, the mafia, they don't believe. I, I, they're very like child abuse and child labor, and I, I don't know. Maybe if it's not right in front of them, <laughs> maybe they don't care if it's if it's something else. But the mafia has a a, a stricter code. You wouldn't kill mm-hmm. your brother in the mafia. No. Well, wait. Well, Godfather. Godfather. Yeah, I guess if you betray him. Fredo. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, I I take that back. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, it's all bad. The mafia is bad. These damn polygamous sects are bad. And if you're. I feel like this is a little bit worse than the mafia right now. I'm sorry. But if you're on a Tinder date with someone and they tell you fundamentalist anything, run. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just FYI, if you take nothing else from this podcast, someone (laughs) says that to you, it is not going to be good. But yes. Um, All right. So where do we begin? Because there's, there's, it's a, it's, a lot of what inf- happens. It's a lot of information. So, so we have this the LeBaron family. We'll st- starts with them. I mean, the whole thing really is about them. It's, it's really the story when we hear daughters of the cult. I think we're referring to Anna and Celia, who are both ch- daughters, different different moms, mm-hmm. right? Right. But both the the daughters of Ervil, and we hear a lot from them. They narrate the whole thing, mm-hmm. but we also hear from their step, one of their um, stepsisters, Faye, and we hear from Adine, who's another daughter, and we hear from Hiram. I love Hiram. I know. He's so Poor sweet. Poor little Hiram, so, such a sensitive little soul, and I think that I just, um, and we hear from him, and that's the LeBaron family. And then we also hear from some of the Allred family, their kids, um, Rulin's children, and um, then the children of, and I cannot remember how to pronounce the name of Mark. Oh, it's Dan. Um, no, not Dan. Not it's Dan. Mark, Mark and Lillian. Mark and Lillian. How do you say I, their last name? I don't know. Oh, God. But if Mark you watched it, you know who we're talking about, Mark and Lillian. So we so we meet there there's a son or two in there, but it's mainly the daughters. The daughters yeah, so they're, of Herbal. They are uh the two main ones, Anna and Celia, um, Herbal's daughters. So okay, so this LeBaron family, they are part of uh we've talked about this a lot of polygamists um when they outlawed polygamy in Utah, went to Mexico. I guess it was a safe place for them. Um, a lot of these, uh, people we meet were born in Mexico. Um, Celia, I know was born in Mexico. Um, and they had this, uh, they called it the LeBaron colony mm-hmm. and it was very primitive. You know, they had no running water, no electricity. Um, you know, they were pretty poor and, um, Ervil and his brother, Joel, founded this church that basically made it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> made it up out of whole cloth called Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of Times. Yes. The fullness of times. Full, fullness of times. I'm like, where do they come up with these names? I don't know. <sighs> anyway. Literally just just made up. And mm-hmm. um, somehow they decided that Joel was the chosen prophet. Yes. Just like that. Just like oh, that. Interesting. Where do I don't I still don't really know how that happen. And I want to say, listeners, we're going to get a lot of stuff wrong. <laughs> we're going to get a lot of facts wrong. But we 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 were really trying. Again, it's five hours, a lot of information. Um, and so we did the best we could. Anyway, um, you know, they go through introducing us to a lot of family members. 
and um Ervil was very so he was really like a, the talker he was mm-hmm. good looking he was good at converting people yes you know what he looked like he looked like a young Matt Dillon yeah that's what yeah. I wrote down and yeah. for you Gen Xers you know who Matt Dillon is <laughs> if you're younger you might have to look him up but he was he was very cute um but he did he had that sort of confidence that swagger right and so Joel I think was the more pragmatic one more the, intellectual more intellectual yeah. and so he played the sort of CEO role the head role and Irvin was sort of like the COO or like mm-hmm. he was second in command and um and that was the, and he was good at converted people. And he, Ervil really enjoyed power. And while these poor kids had nothing, he's driving up in a gold car mm-hmm. and this nice shiny gold car. And so then suddenly Ervil, who did not like being second in command, started having revelations. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was, he was supposed wait to be the prophet. second. Cause he was like, wait, I'm number two. I don't like this. Yes. Um, so that's when, um, but Ervil, I guess, was already starting to, you know, commit some violent acts and committing what they call blood atonement. Yeah, he believes, well, if this comes, so what happens is there's a split. Um, so half the people, Joel gets excommunicated from by Ervil mm-hmm. from this church of the firstborn of the fullness of times. And but some of the followers go with Joel and they call them Joelites. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Ervil starts his own church w- with just 125 followers, and those are the Ervilites. Yes. And they form the Church of the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. And I just have to laugh because one of my husband's favorite bands is called Lamb of God. <laughs> oh, well, yes. maybe that's the origin of yeah, uh, maybe I have to find out from him. Yeah. So yeah, the, um, this Ervil's new church is into this thing called blood atonement, which is um, to atone for an eternal sin, the sinner should be killed so that their blood can hit the ground as a sacrificial offering. Now, is this another made up thing or is there any basis for this in any religion anywhere? Uh, I think it's made up, but uh, we could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but it feels real made up because it also feels like back to the mafia, just as the mafia has very strict rules about who, who gets killed for what and when, and when mm-hmm. you, when you step out of line of that, I guess this is one of the differences with the mafia is it's very, very clear in the mafia, what is going to get you killed. Mm-hmm. And if you step out of line that that's it, I think what's, with with these fundamentalist religious groups it's sort of like it's whatever the leader thinks and feels in that moment in time oh you did this wrong oh you did this wrong you know bad 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 yeah i think it is a real thing because i i googled it to make sure i had the definition of it right and it came all all these definitions came up right away so i think it has some basis and some scripture but anyway um so herbal is just Everything he does, it just turns very violent very quickly. Mm-hmm. He starts amassing a large number of guns, um, like he's making a militia. And uh, this. then we are introduced to this guy, Dan Jordan. And he's like 42 years old, and he marries uh, this girl, Faye, who's one of the narrators. Um, and she's 15. Yeah, yeah. Good times. And, and he just, marries two women on the same day. He marries her and another stepsister. Oh, yeah. Remember? And they're that flipping Herbal a coin. Gave, 
Orville gave her to Dan. Yeah, along with her stepsister. Yes. Whew. And and so and she's so worried about having to like sleep with him on the wedding night that she's yeah. grateful that it's her stepsister has to take it for right. the team. I'm thinking to myself, well, this doesn't change anything. You're, it's tomorrow will come, <laughs> Faye. Well, I mean, you know, one yeah, more night of peace. I guess I guess so, but yeah, it's oof. Yeah, so then so at this point where this is like the early 70s. Now that they're kind of moving all over Mexico, because now I have in my notes, now they're in Ensenada, Mexico. Well, you know, so in 1972, so Irville decides, okay, I don't like Joel, that Joel's out there. And I don't like that he's got all these followers, because I think more followers stayed with Joel, but but his were more radical. So they decide, okay, we need to kill Joel's fo- followers. And in 1972, um, Joel is lured away and from the the followers are lured away and Dan and some henchmen beat him up and then shoot him. So they Mm -hmm. killed Joel. And so Ervil is already like a wanted man. He's running Mm -hmm. from the law. That's why he's constantly, he's staying in Mexico and constantly moving around. And that's when the kids all got in that moving truck (laughs) and moved up to Denver. Oh yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. And yeah, they had three wives 20 children living in a 1,500 square foot house and they're in hiding. So they Mm -hmm. can't even leave. They have to stay inside with the blinds closed. Um, And then I don't, I don't remember what precipitated this, but I have here, Ervil went to the police station Mm -hmm. and they put him in jail and put him on trial. What he just voluntarily walked in there. I guess so. I mean, so he he goes on trial and then he's he's convicted and then the conviction is overturned by a technicality, which basically they're sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink that um, that he bribes somebody. This is still in Mexico. He's still in Mexico, right? Okay. So but then Verlin is now the prophet. Yes. He takes over for Joel. Yeah. And now they're in El Molinos, Mexico. Yes. Oh, okay. And so the Los Molinos, that massacre, that was the massacre of Verlin's group. Mm. So he then wants to massacre. He's just killing off brothers. Yeah. Like they, anybody that's bigger than him, better than him, he's he's taken out. Yeah. They like set a bunch of, uh, I don't know if the, there was an explosion. I set these, the compound buildings on fire. Two died. Oh, 24 structures they burned down. Mm. But Verlin wasn't even there. <laughs> Gosh. Yes. And then this leads into, then we're introduced to Rulin Allred, Christine's grandfather. Um, and so he was in Saint, um, Salt Lake City, and he had a following that really rivaled Ervils, Ir- and he didn't like this, and he didn't like it at all. So he decides that he's going to get Rena, who is his 13th wife. Well, yeah, we have right? to, we have to explain. So Rena and Ramon and Ramona. Ramona. Okay. Yeah. So um, Ramona's married to Dan Jordan. Rena is Ervil's youngest wife at 16, but he started pursuing her when she was 12 mm-hmm. and sexually assaulted her. That's yes. what she said. Mm-hmm. So basically, he's Ervil's grooming Rena and Ramona to be killers because he never killed anyone himself. Yes. He just, you know, recruited other people to do it and groomed them. And yeah, he said that Rulin had to go and he 
and Rena and Ramona were going to kill him. Mm-hmm. So go ahead about. Um, oh Rulin. yeah, well, the, so they were they were groomed to kill him, and so Rulin, um, he uh, basically, you know, Rena and Ramona, they just went into his office, walked right up. Ramona froze. Rena didn't, and shot Rulin point blank bang, 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 and then ran off. And, um, and so now that this is happening in Salt Lake City, like it's getting investigated by the police and now mm-hmm. Rena and Ramona are on the run. Yeah. And the reason why it was because all read again, Christine's grandfather, he had like 12,000 followers and they thought that they could just come in and kill him and take their, take yeah. his followers, which I don't really think it works that way, but that was that was why he yeah. was doing it. Not a great plan. No. <laughs> yeah. And then the women, I mean, they carried it out. They, yeah, they did. They did what they were told. They did what they were told, although later it, it came back to haunt them. But we'll mm-hmm. get to that. And then we get into this whole thing about sort of like what Celia and Anna's life was like. So they, they're in Mexico at this colony. They maybe travel a little bit in Mexico. They're then put in a, all these kids are sort of taken up to the U.S. And they are then required to, the kids are required in Denver to work something like 16 hours a day, six days a week. 12 um, hours a day. 12 hours a day, six days a week. And going and so and then after when they got off their shifts at nine o'clock at night, these poor kids and these kids, these aren't like 15 year olds like these are six, seven, eight, nine year olds. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. really young. Um, They then have to go dumpster diving. Yeah, well, they worked at this place. It was called Michael's Appliance Repair, and it was run by Dan, Dan Jordan. And so at this point, Dan Jordan is like Herbal's right hand man. He's Mm -hmm. his henchman. And so. And he's just a total asshole. And while these kids are basically providing slave labor, he's yelling at them like, Mm -hmm. you stupid, lazy motherfuckers, you better get to work and you're moving too slow. And so this was their life. Yeah, these little kids, 12 Mm -hmm. hours a day, six days a week. So obviously none of them are going to school and they're not even being homeschooled. Because if you're doing 12 hours a day and you're getting off at what, nine o'clock, that means they're working from nine to nine. And then they're going dumpster diving for, you know, food Food. and other things. And then going into the Goodwill box to get clothes and just Mm -hmm. pray that there's clothes that fit you. Um, And what I thought was really interesting was that you, and this is a thing, as a especially as a woman and as a child, you're not supposed to have any feelings. You're not supposed to have thoughts or feelings about Mm -hmm. anything. You just obey. Yeah. And if you feel sorry for yourself... They tell you, like, feeling sorry for yourself is the first step to insanity. And insanity means that you are possessed by the devil or you're bad. And what I think is so interesting about that is it's sort of, it's so interesting, you know, is some of their plans are ridiculous, but some of these other things are pretty damn smart because you're like, the first step when you think about feeling sorry for yourself or when when you really what feeling sorry for yourself is you, you're reflecting. You're reflecting upon how you're feeling. And so they tie this in. The moment you have any sort of reflect, reflection of self, well, that's bad. Mm. That's insanity. And insanity to a kid feels very scary. Yeah. And then you say devil. So don't ever reflect upon anything. Don't ever feel your feelings. Don't yeah. ever do that. So... Ervil 
you know, they know the FBI knows that Erval is behind the killing of Rulon. Um, and so, you know, he's on the FBI's most wanted list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have on here. This is 10 years after the Manson murders. Well, that's when they dubbed him because the, the oh, yeah. because because that murder happened in Salt Lake City and that was really prominent. It got a lot of news coverage and that's when they started calling him the uh Man- Mormon Manson. Right. So, um someone else who's is dumpster diving and they um Oh wait, no, this comes later. Yeah, that's when they find the gun. When they find the gun. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so I have here at Rulon's funeral, Ervil thinks that Verlin will be in attendance. Yeah, that's what yes. you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, they, they show up with guns, but there's too many police there because the police know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Ervil's going on. But the thing was, it alarmed them because, yeah, 10 years earlier with the Manson murders, and they were so worried about like multiple murders happening, mm-hmm. you know, that that's why they. Had bad the press there, yeah. Bad, bad press for Salt Lake City and Mormon and Mormonism. <laughs> yeah. It's going to kill tourism. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. And so there's just there's more. You know, there's so many different stories. They talk about one of Rule, one of um Ervil's daughters, Rebecca, Rebecca his yeah. oldest daughter. She um, you know, she starts to have problems and starts to complain a little, and she's she disappears. And that was sort of what these children were living under all the time, which is if you do complain, if you do push anything, suddenly you're no longer around. Well, they said she had mental health issues and they were afraid that she was going to tell someone, Mm -hmm. you know, because because of the mental health issues, it was interfering with their ability to control her and to brainwash her. Well, and what's what we learn later is and they, they don't we don't ever get a formal diagnosis for Ervil, but it does seem like Ervil has some kind of and I don't know if it's um, nature versus nurture. If he drew, you know, like just you start teaching these these insane, crazy things and you start believing it. And did he did that make him, you know, mentally ill once he got to jail or prison? Or was he always mentally ill? Because if he if he had a pretty serious mental illness, then it wouldn't surprise me that a lot of his children got it too. Like these things are yeah. highly genetic. Yeah. So, but I also wonder when they said she had mental illness, I'm like, I wonder if she just was, you know, had a thought or a feeling. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It was just like question something. I don't know what, I don't know what she did, but she was 17 and expecting her second child and <sighs> they just killed her. Yeah. Just like And that- so- that's when, like, um, uh, Anna and Celia were talking about this because it was very disturbing to them because mm-hmm. they they just thought, well, if he can just kill his own child, yeah, n- no problem, and the, and nobody's even looking for her. Well, they don't know for sure. He didn't announce he, that he killed her, but that was the assumption because no one's looking for her. Mm-hmm. No one's talking about her. She just disappears one day. Yeah. And they can get away with it, too. Right. That's the other thing is. And that's very, very scary. Yeah. They talk about that. Like women are not allowed to think for themselves. They were not allowed to have an original thought. And I think that that's, you know, when you watch these documentaries, it's really easy to get into that headspace of like, what's wrong with them? Like, why wouldn't Mm -hmm. you just run? Why didn't you? Why don't you go to the authorities? And that is what that's this isolation that we see so often in all of these. The more you isolate someone, the more they don't have 
I mean, this is all they knew that well, this yeah. is what the world was. And when they get to the age where they can understand like, okay, well, maybe I can leave, but then you know what will happen to you if you get mm-hmm. caught. Yeah. So, you know, like uh, Anna left when she was, was she 15, 16, something oh, like, anyway, down. 13, she was 13. Oh, 13. Okay. So all, all these girls leave at some point. Um, but they, yeah, they have to go through that mental process of, uh, am I willing to risk getting caught leaving and, mm-hmm. or, or is this worse to stay here? <laughs> you know, and you have to decide. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's so awful. Yeah. So then we, so then we get, um, the next major thing that I he, see here, which is, um, Rena does come back. So she's on the run mm-hmm. and then she comes back, but they're told just call her Patty. And that's another thing that would disturb you too. Like, you know, yeah. now we're just calling her Patty and they talked to Celia and Anna talk a lot about this. Like they didn't realize it at the time, but all of this moving around was they were running from the law. Mm-hmm. She, they went to 10 different living in 10 different houses and all this stuff before she even was 10 she years was, old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then Ervil's first wife, and his son, Isaac, they do something very, very brave, which is they go to the police and they reveal who murdered Rulin. And they talk about the Los Molinos murder. So in 1977, the FBI raid their house again. Um, this is... Which house? Is, oh, this Is this the house where the 20 kids were living? Yeah, the okay. house in Denver. So they yeah. raid the house. And this is the one that... Is this the one where Hiram, he lets them in? He's mm-hmm. six years old. So there's banging on the door. He gets up in a cloud of, you know, sleepiness. It's like the middle of the night. Yeah. yeah. Opens the door. And all of a sudden, you know, here you are, just a bunch of kids being raided by the FBI. I mean, I think that's scary for anyone. Um, but here the FBI is raiding the house. And and that's what Hiram says is that he felt so guilty. He felt responsible mm-hmm. for so long because he was the one that opened the door. So I'm confused because in my notes, I say that the kids were then taken back to Mexico. Why didn't the kids? So when they raid the house, were they just looking for Ervil and didn't find him? So they just left everybody there? Yeah, I don't know. It was very strange. I think they, yeah, they, um, they came in and they found, they found Rena because Rena was there. Mm -hmm. So they got her. And, um, and was this the one where they, oh, yeah. the, the, the Dan Jordan thing or was, yeah. So they go to another house at the close same time. by yeah. at the same time and they find Ervil there and they, he admits, yeah, I'm, I'm Ervil LeBaron and they don't believe him. Mm-hmm. The, oh, this, okay. Wait, this is in Mexico. This is this. These are the federales. This isn't oh, the FBI. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so much happens in this. I know, I'm telling I know. you. I apologize no, because, to anybody if you're frustrated with us. Because they they're continue because they're continually on the run. They're continually going from state to state to Mexico, back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. to Mexico. They're just all over the place. Yeah. So this all happens when they're in Mexico. Okay. So, um, so they find Ervil. He says, "Yeah, it's me." The police don't believe him because. They've heard about him as being this, you know, charismatic, this charismatic, you know, um, tall, handsome man. And apparently he didn't look that good. He, mm-hmm. you know, was 
just look like this pathetic <laughs> person couldn't possibly be a charismatic cult leader. Yeah. <laughs> and so they didn't believe it. And so they left. And then, um, then they go and they find Dan and they ask Dan if he's Ervil. <laughs> and Dan says, yes, you know, because he's, yeah, he has to. And then they realize that no, Dan is not Ervil. And in the meantime, Ervil has escaped. And yes. he, he's, he's gone now. Mm-hmm. So they messed that up. Yes. Ay, ay, ay. But, th- but this all happened because they were getting, because of this murder in Salt Lake City, I guess the FBI were trying to work with the Federalists and telling them, mm-hmm. like, this guy's bad news. Like, you don't, you don't want, want him. him. Yeah, and that was the thing about the Manson connection. You know, they were saying, yeah, you basically got a Charles Manson-type cult right mm-hmm. here in your backyard in Mexico, and you don't need that. Yeah. You know, you don't want this person. So help us find him and we'll we'll take him. We'll meet you at the border and we'll, <laughs> we'll take him back. <laughs> but they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's so crazy. Um, and so, yeah. So uh, let's see. So then it then this is around the time when Mark and Lillian come into the picture. Yeah. And I don't I I. Okay, so Mark is Rena's brother, and Rena, I don't know where she is. She said she, uh, she's she taken in into custody. She's Rena's taken into custody. They find her from that. Uh-huh. They they meet her. They take her over, and she's now in custody. And there's there's Rena, Mark, and Eddie Marston, and Victor, who is also related to Mark. I think Eddie is a half sibling or something of somebody's anyway they all are on trial for these murders in the u.s in salt lake city for for the murder of rulin for the murder okay so i know so and none of them get convicted yeah that it's it's so there's talk of jury jury members being intimidated right jury members did say that they thought someone was following them and you know you just need one person and and that's it Though you need one, everyone always says you just need one person, but really you need one no. person for a fault, for a, for a mistrial. For a mistrial. You, yeah. you need all 12 to, to get to acquitted. You need, yeah, to get acquitted, <laughs> you need all 12 people to say not guilty. Yes. So, so not exactly correct. But yeah. And then Lillian is the half sister of somebody. Yeah. I don't know. And it's, yeah. It's very confusing. Whoever yeah. Is. They turn out to be you know, good people later on. But, um, and then we get this whole thing. I think what, what happens there is, so by this point, now Anna and Celia are back in Denver because we hear, yeah. And everyone returns to Colorado, Colorado, and they go back to the appliance thing. And basically Dan is in charge. Mm -hmm. I don't know where Earl is Ervil back in Mexico. Yes. He's still on the run in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so they go back to the appliance thing because I guess they feel like they can, you know, things have settled down. Um, And this was this horrible thing where Dan promises all the kids that if they work really hard all summer, then at the end of the summer, he'll give them $50 to buy school clothes. And $50 each. And that that is in the 19, late 70s, early 80s. And that's a lot of money. It was more money than they had ever known. Or even fathomed. Anna said that that they used to have to, they they would give the wives like $20 a month to buy food for their family. 
Yeah. That's why they were dumpster diving and stuff. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. And of course, the end of the summer comes and um, he says, oh, no, I don't have the money. Mm-hmm. And then his daughters show up with like all new school clothes. And Anna's livid. And yeah. I think, again, this is where these cults and these cult leaders, they make mistakes because I get why Dan, you know, he wanted to incentivize them, right, mm-hmm. to do that, which is... But the thing is, is that when you renege on these things, when you pull it back, that pissed Anna off. And I think what she was starting to see was, wait a second here. You know, I can't, because basically their whole thing is these cult leaders. They always say, you know, you need to trust me and not other people. But when you start lying to them, then they're not going to trust you anymore. So, and that's what happened with Dan. How do you believe anything? Even though he was awful and abusive and terrible mm-hmm. if if this awful abusive person if you're told to believe in them and then they lie to you to your face it starts to erode things a little bit yeah so yeah no it might not seem like a big deal to most people but it's yeah like to her it was it was just like i'd be livid because be her livid. life is so god their life is just so awful Ugh. but they don't even know it they because they just don't know anything they don't know what's happening in the outside world yeah yeah so anyway finally the federales do catch up to ervil well yeah because i think this is about this is 78 79 because right after jones because yeah i was gonna say that was the other big thing so jonestown happens and now that the even more so it's like we really gotta find yeah we don't want this is a problem jonestown here yeah so they get him. They, uh, I can't remember yeah. how, but they, they find him. They, find, they take him to yeah. the border, hand him over to the FBI. The FBI talks to him for like five hours, but he won't talk about ruling all red. And he goes on trial. And um, in 1980, Isaac, who is his, is it his son? son. Yeah. Yeah. His son. Son Isaac. Um, and Isaac, didn't we say earlier, Isaac and his mom had gone to yeah. the FBI? Yeah, so they were the key witnesses. Yeah. Can I just go back to something for real quick? You know what I think is really interesting is how quickly the Federalists found Ervil. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's a little bit like, I think they always oh, yeah. knew where he but was. He was paying them off. Yeah, and, so and I think... It got to yeah, a point I, where it wasn't worth yeah. the money anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was just it. like, that was that was the big thing, was like, <laughs> it just wasn't worth it right. to them. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, Isaac testifies against Ervil. He's found guilty of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder of Rulon Allred. And he's sentenced to life in prison. Finally. And so, yeah, God. And so Ervil, but they think, okay, this is it. Boom. Prison. Okay. I don't know why everyone thought he. they were so naive. You know, people rule from prison. And they knew that. Like, lots of people rule from prison. Again, the mafia. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I don't quite why they thought everything should end. That... um, but that this is where his his mental illness really started to come out because prior to this we learned that apparently he was like writing letters to Jimmy Carter and Mondale <laughs> yeah. asking them that they should tithe to him. <laughs> <laughs> so Car- what's Carter going to do? Oh, I'll give you ten percent of my yearly salary as president. <laughs> sure, no some random cult leader. Yeah, what a weirdo. So, um, and so what happened from that was. That, um, oh, and so Ervil really wanted, he wanted them, he wanted his followers to bust him out of prison. 
they were like, we, I need to get out here. You need to bust out. And they realized like the higher ups, Mark and Dan and such, they were like, this is a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. Like, what do we, we can't do that. And so that really pisses Ervil off. And he starts to create this hit list. And we'll get back to the hit list later because that comes into play. But he starts to, these crazy mm-hmm. writings and yellow legal pads and just da-da-da, you know, the, the writings of a madman. Because people aren't following his orders anymore either. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, but it also, him being in prison, and I think that the people who, I think that they they were getting this information from him. And I think it's almost like people kind of split a bit where, the people that had a sense, something, some sort of sense inside of them could see, oh, we got to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't, this, this is, is our crazy. Chance. This is, yeah. yeah, this is our chance. This guy's, imp- and, and look at these madmen writings and we got to go. And that's when um, uh, Dan, so that's when they started to back away. And that's when Mark and Lillian kind of really decided to break away and really felt like, okay, we got to get as, as as far away from this as we yeah, can. Yeah, because Mark was going to visit him in jail and um, Ervil would give him all these um, writings because all he did all the time was write things, like all day long mm-hmm. in prison, write out these revelations and orders and instructions to people. And then he would give them to Mark and Mark would sneak them out and give them to whoever he's supposed to give them to. So Mark was reading these letters, presumably, and saw how bizarre and violent and whatever they were. And so, yeah, I think he knew that it was time to to get away from these people. Yes. So Irva wants to blood atone Dan and Mark. I love this. Blood atone you. Blood atone you. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> and then this is really interesting kind of a, a la Jeffrey Epstein, in 1981, Ervil's found dead in his prison cell. He's yeah. 56 years old, and they have, they're, quote-unquote, unsure of how he died. You know, did someone kill him? Was it a suicide? It's very bizarre, mm-hmm. because it it looked like he his throat had been, they someone thought that he punched himself so hard in the throat that it choked him. It's like, can you kill yourself? Though? I don't know. That was weird. They said the official cause was a heart attack, but mm. I don't know. But, you know, yeah. what I did very suspicious. What I did think was really sad was that Anna and Celia, after they you know talk about how he died in prison, they get kind of sad because they said they thought that they could still maybe have a real relationship with their father someday. Mm. And I was just like, What? Yeah. And, you know, Anna talks about, I think she only saw him one time in her life. She talks about the first time she ever saw him, you know, that she maybe she saw him as a, a baby. But the first time that she can remember seeing him, he came to her house when they were in Denver or something. She was like nine years old. Mm-hmm. And she still at that time, like, just saw him as, as she admired him and saw him as this, you know, you know, wonderful figure and. And really, you th- you thought mm-hmm. that even, uh, yeah, that was weird. But I think because he was talked about so much, he was talked about and revered. I bet you anything that he felt so unique and special to them. Um, so and maybe they they felt more special because they were you know his daughters. I don't know. He had fifty one kids or fifty plus kids. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But that's what Hiram says, too, where he says that Dan Jordan 
even though he was horribly abusive, was the only father figure he ever knew. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to please him. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the same thing. Anna wanted to please Ervil. All right. So they took all of Ervil's revelations that he wrote on, you know, yellow legal pads, and they were published um, in a book. It was called The Book of New Covenants. And in this book is his hit list for 50 mm-hmm. people, you know, that he wanted <laughs> killed. Oh, my God. And it's so funny, too, because, you know, the minute someone said, no, that's it. You're on the list. You know, you like <laughs> to like, piss me know, off. Pr- you're putting yeah. you on the list. <laughs> like, I didn't like my dinner tonight. You're on the list. <laughs> yeah. So the only people stupid enough to <laughs> to, to uh, take up this list were a bunch of teenagers uh, teenage children of his and uh, converts. I don't know who these people were um, who kept following him and they took up the, mm-hmm. the revelations and called themselves the kingdom of God. And they were basically teenagers yeah. with guns. Yes. And yes. So now there's, go. there's almost like there's three sects. There's three groups of all these people that we're talking about, which is we've got Dan Jordan's group and then we've got Mark and his group. And then we've got Arturo, who was the oldest son, who became the successor when Erval went to jail and then later died. Mm-hmm. And he sort of ran it like, like a mafia, you know, a don. mafia don. Yeah. And they made money mainly through stealing cars in the U.S. and bringing them down to Mexico and reselling them or chopping them up. And they were working with the narcos and... Um, and so one of the followers, so this is what happens when you put, give a bunch of people guns is eventually one of the followers kills Arturo. Mm-hmm. And so the next in line after that is Heber. And Heber, I guess they, Anna and Celia said that he was always this sweet kid, very gentle, um, that he was, you know, he didn't turn out, he didn't start evil, but he also really was um, addicted. Um, a drug user, mm-hmm. not in his right mind, a partier. I don't know if I don't know if Heber ever Heber ever really wanted to be in charge, but he got a little bit of a taste of power. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he's he is he starts running this the same way, you know, with this iron fist. Um, and it's even probably even more violent than when their father was running the place. Yeah, so um, it's chaos down in Mexico because that's where all these yes. young boys are. But uh, meanwhile, Anna is living in Houston with her mom, and she was happy. But mm-hmm. then Dan Jordan um, showed up again, and I guess Mark was, you know, Mark was changing his ways. He was like, "I'm yeah. getting out of this," and he, you know, kind of started taking care of. Anna and her mom and other people who were living around there. And um, Anna, oh, I guess Dan told Anna's mom that, you know, they had to go back to Denver with him. Mm-hmm. And Anna was just like, I can't. Like, I, she's like, I just can't go. Yeah. Well, surprise, surprise, for Michael's appliance, it collapsed. Because there was no more kid labor. Right. <laughs> so basically, I think that Dan got the bright idea of, oh, crap, I'm not making any money anymore because I don't have all this free labor. Mm-hmm. And so and all the kids are in Houston. So I'm he convinces Anna's mom 
that he's the new prophet, mm-hmm. that he needs to come, that, that they need to come and follow him to Colorado. And, um, cause there's more you know, kids there that like, yeah. kids in Houston have dried up, I guess. So, um, yeah. So Anna calls Lillian and says, I can't, I cannot go with them. And, um, Lillian says, just start walking and wow. to my house. And so she walked out of the house with the clothes on her back, started walking to Lillian's house, got into her car, went into hiding. Um, Lillian put her in a motel room. And so her mom was looking for her, <laughs> couldn't find her. Mm-hmm. And she just left, yeah. left town with, um, she was like, okay, well she's gone. Yeah. And I guess it's yeah. probably not that uncommon, you know, when these yeah. kids get to a certain point, um, you know, it's not the first person to do that. So, so Anna moved in with Lillian and Mark and, um, she's, this is when she realized she was in a cult. Yes. <laughs> she didn't realize it up until this point. Um, well, that's when she finds the book. She finds a, oh yeah, that's right. Putting away laundry one day and finds a book of, um, a book about Ervil mm-hmm. and she starts reading and it's like, oh my God, my father's this evil man. He murdered people and we're all in a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so things start to come together for her. So meanwhile, but back in Mexico, down in Mexico, <laughs> <laughs> things are getting crazier. He- Heber is training kids as young as six to shoot guns and start killing people. Um, they start just randomly killing people on the ranch who they think were involved in Arturo's killing. Women are being trafficked and raped. I mean, it's just someone described yeah, it as Mad Max meets Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yeah. It's like nobody has a moral compass. No. And yeah. this Heber guy is just a sociopath. So he then kills his brother. So Heber, I guess, kills his brother, Andrew for something that Andrew did or did not do. But it turned out that Andrew was the best mechanic they had. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they needed Andrew. For the auto, again, the auto not, ring. Again, these ruthless killers, not good businessmen. Because I will also tell you in the mafia, I'm not really promoting the mafia, but in the mafia, <laughs> and I learned this have, from the Sopranos. They have lots of jobs. They, they, yeah, yeah. But, but in the Sopranos, what Tony Soprano would always say is he's a good earner. Yeah. He's a good earner. And that's the thing. Like, I'm not going to let this guy go because he's making me lots of money. And so this is what these group, this group did not quite understand that if you have someone who's a linchpin yeah. in your, in your system, you better find a replacement right. before you kill them. So yeah, don't kill so, your best mechanic. You know, it's like, yeah. So that, so they, and that was their main source of income. So, uh, so everyone's like, well, Heber, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, you're not good. So they make him step down and they have, um, Aaron come in to fill in and he's 19 years old at the time. And he's very different than Heber because he's much more serious and quiet and, but much more religious. Mm-hmm. So what Ervil was able to do was Ervil was really able to use the scripture and, and all of that to lure people in, to get a hold of them. And Aaron was able to do that as well. So, yes. So, so now he's in charge. So their next victim 
is Dan Jordan because he's on the hit list. Yes. They're just going down the yes. list. <laughs> yeah, they've got to go back to the hit list. So they're like, okay, who's number one? <laughs> is it Dan? <laughs> it probably was. They got sidetracked with killing this Andrew. <laughs> I don't think Andrew was on the list. No, Andrew wasn't on the that list. That was just at for all. shits and giggles, you know? Like, yeah. No, Andrew probably mouthed off to <laughs> yeah. him or something. I mean, really, literally, if you're killing people <clears throat> just for doing one thing, you know? Exactly. It's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, so Dan is not doing great. He doesn't have any money. And so he puts these people, including Celia, um, on what he calls who, the mission field, who are going yes. door to door to try to convert people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they wanted to get more converts for Dan. So Celia went back. She said that she was much more, um, she, she really, she's a few years older than Anna. So she was about 16 when she went from Houston back to Denver. And so she very much was like very proud of this honor, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm representing them. And, um, but she wasn't doing a very good job of getting converts. I don't know why. Um, and so she, uh, so she was told that she wasn't, she wasn't celestial enough. Yeah. And that she, you know, no, she couldn't do this anymore. But apparently there was one night where, um, one time where they're having a meeting talking about, you know, converts and how do we get people. And Dan made an offhand remark. And I think Celia just sort of laughed at it or dismissed it or something. Yeah, I, I still she don't understand quite it. what she did. She laughed at it. She didn't understand what it meant, but she laughed right. at it. And then she was awoken by her mother and another, another mom and given 20 lashes each and each. each. Yeah. Yeah. To like, and they told her, you know, you're not good. You can't do this anymore. You don't get to go to, you don't get to do this door to door thing anymore and no school. Yeah. And she was, was really, she was in her, her, yeah, she just was in her senior year or something. And she was really, cause I'm sure a lot of these people did not graduate from high school and she was about ready to graduate from high school. And that was very important to her. She was very proud of that. And they said, yeah. no, can't go back to school. You're just going to have to go to work, Mm-mm. earn money yes. for the family. And then they beat her. And then that was her breaking point. Yes, that was it for her. She um, and actually her mom just kind of told her to go, I think. Yeah, she said, just yeah. go, you know, you're not. <laughs> I don't, that was weird. Well, I think the mom I think the mom kind of knew already like this isn't this is not this is not good, yeah. but I can't get out. So let me try to get my kids out. And she had a sister um, who had already left. Yeah. So. In Mexico, what happens is, and I have to say, you know, the under Aaron's leadership, <laughs> they actually had some pretty good plans. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got to give them some credit for that, which is. Well, wait, wait, can we so, finish something else out yeah, here? Sure. Because, okay, so C- Celia called her sister who had left the cult. Her sister sent her a plane ticket. She left a note for her mom and her sister, Adine and Hiram, and Hiram gets very emotional saying that, you know, he didn't know if he'd ever see her again. It mm-hmm. was very sad. Um, she moved in with her sister and her sister's husband in Houston. And then she was reunited with Anna. Mm-hmm. And the two of them actually got to graduate high school together. Um, oh, that's Cel- right. Celia's almost 20. Anna was 17. And they were in some small religious school. There were only the two, only two people in the senior class. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they got to... Uh, <laughs> To graduate but they together. got to graduate yeah yeah so that that's 
I mean, for such a dark documentary, that was like one of the the bright, <laughs> yes. bright spots. So I just thought, make sure we get something happy. In yes, here. no, you're right. But anyway, okay. So then Aaron, Aaron, and a bunch of kids show up at Dan's house. <laughs> mm-hmm. And these, I mean, this is part of a plan, right? I mean, yes, yeah, actually, and, and a pretty smart plan where they basically say, "Hi, Dan, we're a bunch of kids." We, we don't, Mexico's insane. Mm -hmm. We're not happy. Take us in and we'll work for you. And Dan, you know, so greedy. He, he kind of like Dan always carried a gun with him because he knew he was on that hit list and he knew, you know, he knew he was in trouble, but I think that he, I think he, and he was skeptical of these kids, but it was like, they poked an area where it's like, oh, I could make money off of them. So he gets them to go to work and they're, I don't know how long they're there, but they, um, Dan does this big deer hunt every year and it's a big deal. Like all the kids go and, and it's very exciting. And basically I think they, I think they must've used the, knowing that he had this deer hunt, Mm. they used that as a time to isolate Mm -hmm. him and get him away. And so Dan one day, you know, at the deer hunt, he has to pee. He puts his gun down for the first time and goes off to pee and he's shot. Yeah. But the thing is, and then the the police come and, um, but the thing is, everybody's accounted for. So it's like, well, who shot him? You know, I mean, what happened here? They couldn't, they were suspicious of Aaron right away, but they didn't have any evidence, Mm -hmm. you know, to prove that he had done anything um, at all. So, um, so that's, they've managed to kill Dan. That's number one. Check. Yeah. Cross that off. He's off. The, <laughs> cross him off the list. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and so, yeah. Okay. So then Mark and then Mark's brother, Dwayne, and then this guy, Eddie, who's mm-hmm. Eddie Marston. Eddie Marston. He, he's the half brother of, um, somebody not quite sure anyway they're all on the hit list yes they are So they're next so and so they say let's why not why not why kill why not if we're gonna kill people let's do it three at a time well this was actually (laughs) turned out to be a pretty Pretty good plan yeah Yeah, i have to say this aaron he's crazy and insane and we shouldn't follow him but you gotta give him like he's a smart criminal Yeah. yeah so all all three of these guys owned appliance repair shops and so what they did is they um they set it up to act like they had some appliances to sell or just old appliances to sell or something and so they um they lured eddie and Dwayne out of the shop mark was still Mm -hmm. in the shop they lured Mm -hmm. eddie and um Dwayne to separate locations to go supposedly meet some person to buy appliances and one of them was it eddie or Dwayne? Dwayne's Dwayne had a six-year-old daughter in the car she just came along for the ride and so they get to the spots where they're supposed to meet these people and then these trucks pull up and block them in and then at the same time this all happens at the same time it's four o'clock they call them the four o'clock murders um on june 27th and that's very significant yes um, because the June 27th on some date in the past at four o'clock is when Joseph Smith was killed. 
um, in the jail. In the jail. And, and we learned all by the angry mod. We, we learned that yeah, on sister, the wives. sister wives, the Browns went there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so basically that they're all killed at the same time by three separate people who, uh, come out of these, come out with guns and they're all dressed alike. They all have the mm-hmm. same like kind of disguise on like a beard and a, a same color suit. So that way, if any eyewitnesses saw them, they would all give the same description. So they wouldn't know mm-hmm. like, well, yeah. wait a minute, who killed who and whatnot. So um, and then unfortunately, the six year old also gets killed because she's just yeah. there and th- yeah. they just shoot her point blank. I mean, they're just these people are just ruthless killers. Um. So, uh, so everybody's on high alert. Yes. And it's, Mm -hmm. and Lisa and Emily are Mark's daughters who we now see as adults. And Anna used to take care of them when she lived with them. And, um, let's see. Well, we meet them and we get to know them and they talk about their parents and Mark. And, you know, I think they were both what, 10 and something 10 and 12 pretty young where they just all of a sudden they find out their father's dead and they all have to like run everyone has to run they went into witness protection program the uh, lillian and the daughters they went into protection because lillian was on that list too i believe probably sure yeah so and then we meet Aideen, who's one of the other daughters. She talks about like her mom was on the hit list and they were all given guns. And mm-hmm. they said, you know, every time your mom opens the door, aim to shoot whoever's at there. I mean, just just craziness. Yeah, everyone assumed that they could be on the list. You know, they all thought mm-hmm. that they could be killed at any time. So, yeah, it was terrorizing. Um, and so and then. The Houston area. So I guess this group, they're still in the Houston area and um, they the police find the three men who committed these murders because they had found a bunch of stolen cars, cars that, that they had stolen. And so they arrest the three men who were the three killers. But the problem was, was that because they looked alike. And no one could place who murdered whom, mm-hmm. when, you know, they could not convict them on the murders because you have to convict them for what they did. Yeah. So they got a tip. They found all these. These were all these kids from Mexico and they were all mm-hmm. hanging out in some motel in Phoenix and they had all the stolen cars there and they were partying. And so and so the, the hotel manager, I guess, con- maybe contacted the FBI and they came and they... um found all the kids there and they searched through the cars and they found a bunch of evidence in the car that was related to the murders. And so they knew they had the right people, but like you said, and they kind of, they narrowed it down to Heber, uh, this boy, Richard, who was a minor and then a guy named Doug Barlow. And, Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, they didn't know which of these three killed which of the victims. And so mm-hmm. you have to know that. You have to be able to charge someone specifically with murdering a specific person. But the state of Arizona went ahead and um, they convicted them on the, you know, stolen car charges. and Because they could. Because they could. They had the evidence yeah. for that. So... uh Heber and Doug, I guess they got they and they just pled guilty because they were just like, you know, whatever. Um, 
they got 10 years and Richard got three years because he was a minor. Mm-hmm. And apparently people weren't even doing, they could have easily yeah. gotten out in five, three yeah. to five. And they knew maybe. that. So yeah. mm-hmm. they were just, you know, happy that they couldn't tie them to the murder yet. And during this time, we also learn that, you know, Lillian Mark's um, widow is she's getting more and more depressed Mm -hmm. and more and more depressed to the point where she kills herself. And I mean, it's devastating. Mm -hmm. Utterly, these poor girls. I mean, I don't, I couldn't remember what the time frame was from the time that Mark died to the time that Lillian committed suicide. Seemed like pretty soon after. Ugh. I mean, awful. Truly, truly awful. Yeah. But And then also Isaac, we learned that Isaac, the one who mm -hmm. testified against Erval, he ended up killing himself three years after. after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so finally, uh, we get Cynthia LeBaron. She calls up, she's in Mexico and she and her, was it her sisters? Her sisters. Or the other women there. They they were part of the group that was in Phoenix. But somehow they got, they, you know, they didn't get arrested for anything or whatever. They went back to Mexico, but she and her sister are, they're getting really afraid, you know, because things are getting really weird and they're afraid that they're going to be killed. So they call the FBI. Yeah. And they say, Hey, meet us, meet us, meet us in Laredo again. Yeah. On the border. (laughs) On the border. Cause we're coming over and we're willing to talk and we have the information that you need about the four o'clock murders. And so they were able to um they were able to piece things together and figure out who killed who you know so that way they convict the three men on these murders and they also learned that it was heber that killed dan jordan so it Mm. wasn't aaron aaron was there as the decoy that heber came in and and aaron this is why aaron was very smart Mm. aaron said Okay, well, I'll tell you when, you know, we go on this deer hunt and stand by and then Heber right. comes up, shoots Dan. And so and takes off. it's like, yeah. oh, and takes off. Yeah. And, and Cynthia told the police that uh, they had been planning that murder, the four o'clock murders for like two years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And they how were they going to get through that hit list if it's taken them two years per person? I don't know, but they would for, for three. They would have gotten away with it if it hadn't yeah. been for Cynthia. So Cynthia, yeah, they yeah. gave Cynthia immunity and they didn't like it, but it was kind of like, we don't have a choice. We have to. And uh, yeah, she's a victim. Just yeah, exactly. Um, so they were all put on trial. They all guilty. Um, Aaron LeBaron, which is if your last name's LeBaron, <laughs> don't name your kid Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, um, he's still on yeah. the run. Right. So after yeah. after Dan's murder, he kind of disappeared, you know, to try to mm-hmm. distance himself from that. And then Cynthia had to go into witness protection after yes. she testified. Um, but they did eventually find Aaron in 1995. Mm-hmm. Somehow he gets arrested in Mexico and then he's again taken to the Extradited, United States. Yeah. yeah. And um, that he was convicted for the murders and uh, he got 45 years in prison, yeah. which seemed kind of short, short for why? everything that he yeah, did. Yeah, because he, he was also involved in the con- conspiracy to commit other murders, but I, they probably just didn't have the evidence. Yeah. They, they did what I'm they could. I'm telling you this. Yeah. I mean, the guy was pretty smart. I mean, he really did. He kind of thought these things through a lot more. Yeah. So if that's in um, 95... Um, that's like almost 30, 
years ago. Uh-oh. So he's is he, oh, so he's still is he alive? He's still in prison if he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Still got 15 more years, I guess. Yeah. And so this this whole thing takes place over 30 years. It's like a 30-year crime spree. And they've determined that 33 people have been killed that they know of. And nine people have died by suicide. Ugh. Which is insane to think about. Well, Just and did we, did we talk about the... The... Um, that that the guys were convicted of conspiracy yes. to commit murder. Okay, yeah. So they got and then so the the two adults Heber and well, what's the other one? I've forgotten already. Barlow. Yeah, Doug Barlow. They each got life in prison, but that guy Richard, he only he took some sort of plea deal. He only got five years. Yeah, that's weird. Is it because he was a minor? Maybe. Because he was a minor when yeah. it happened. Hmm. I don't know, but that was a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> Others yeah. two should have tried to yeah. get a deal. But the thing is, is that even, you know, even Aaron and um, Heber and all of them, they're all victims of victims. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like everybody, you, you ask, like everybody's a victim. Everybody's, you know, so many, so all of these perpetrators were victims in some way, shape, or form. I'm not excusing their behavior. It's just... Oh, yeah. No, I know they when, were all brainwashed. You, it's a cult. Yeah, when you see this, yeah, when you see this, it's like, what the... Because obviously Heber didn't have that kind of disposition to begin with. He was a sweet kid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they said. So something happened between the time that he went down to Mexico and the time that he decided to start killing, offing people. So it, it is. It's just... The whole story is truly awful. And I... We were talking about this before we started recording that, you know, there's, I have a lot of frustration with these stories because I get so mad that we are, like, I understand why, I understand why they're being told. I understand why they're important. And, you know, but it's this utter frustration of highlighting these really awful, terrible, terrible people. And, um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I understand that Anna and Celia, they, they want to tell their story and I want them to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are absolutely the heroes of this story. They and all the other people that testified and put themselves out there. I don't know. I just get so frustrated that people are allowed to get away with this stuff that these, these, you know, just all of it. The whole story just angered me. Just well, yeah, it's past like my I don't know. I can't. Maybe I'm not explaining. Well, it's right, just but. it's very disturbing. And like you said, how as disturbing as it is. And, you know, yeah, if we don't talk about it and we don't put it out into the light and we don't warn people and we don't telegraph the message to people that, you know, this isn't right. You know, maybe someone will see this and, you know, they'll, mm-hmm. they're in a similar situation and they'll. So I understand that, but what, what, what we're doing now with all of these shows is that we're basically using these people's trauma, mostly women, mm-hmm. their trauma has become a form of entertainment. Yeah. And yeah. And watching a five hour show like this is a lot. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. this is very overstimulating. And I don't even have any history of abuse or trauma or anything like that. I can't imagine 
if you're someone who is like how you could even watch this, but I mean, these shows are so popular, you know, people like can't get enough of it. And it's just like all, especially women. Yes. Women are like all the true crime and, and yeah, so it's easy to watch true crime if you've never been a victim of this type of crime, but I don't know. What is it like to be a victim and watch this? Do a lot of people who are victims watch it or not? I don't know. But it's just getting yeah, to be so I, yeah. many shows and so many things. And mm-hmm. each one is more disturbing than the last, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I, y- y- you know, I personally don't, um, I don't work with clients that have heavy, heavy duty trauma, though. Th- you know, if you have heavy trauma, you really need to seek a specialist for that. Don't just see any regular old, you know, not every therapist does that. So, um, but it is. It is. I. I. Uh, people ask me all the time, why do women watch true crime? And and my feeling has always been that it's because we are the victims of it, and it's almost this weird way of being able to like get one step ahead. Yeah. You know, these things that happen that are out of your control and out of your power. Well, if you have some sense of a story, you know, of what to do and how to handle or it, how to or, recognize, y- yeah, yeah, yeah the, someone the who's going to be a, a yeah. perpetrator, yeah. And, um, and I do think that these stories are very helpful for that, you know, to, um, to not only tell people's stories, but also to give them some warning of these are the things, like, again, fundamentalist, you know, some things that, you know, might, might mean that this person is bad news, but I don't think I've ever, I don't know what someone who's been through trauma really thinks about. I mean, I would, I I haven't asked anybody, Mm -hmm who's really been through trauma, what this is like, that if this is enjoyable for them. Um, and I know that there are other podcasters and um, other, you know, uh, filmmakers and such that really do want to start honoring the victims, right? We know the name of Ted Bundy and Manson and all that, but do we know the names of their victims? No, we don't. So I, I understand that there's this this feeling of the popularity of true crime and trying to force people, sort of like push people to let's stop saying the names of the killers and let's start focusing on the victims. Um, but I think that there is something about, this is just my two cents about it. I, I think there's something about trying to get into the mind and understanding someone or something that you just can't fathom, mm. you know, like, because I think we're all, tr- I don't know, when I'm watching it, I don't know about you, I'm constantly thinking like, what, how did we get mm-hmm. here? And how did yeah. you think that? And who, who are your parents, Ervil? <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> happened to you? What happened to you? Yeah, it's like that yeah. Oprah Winfrey book. What yeah. happened to you? Because that is, it's, you I don't know, think that's people, the question to yeah, ask. I really, truly do not believe people are born evil. You know, mm-hmm. I just, it, people are made into, you know, what they become by the people around them. And, and yeah. And so, yeah. And I don't know, maybe some people find some solace in, in watching these stories because maybe it makes them feel like they're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that it could happen to anybody. It's not their fault. You know, I don't know. There's probably yeah. a million different reasons. But yeah. yeah, I I can only do so many of these cult type shows <laughs> a month. Um, yes, 
<laughs> yes, yes. This one I found a lot darker than, like, something about the Twin Flames, because you could kind of almost, I mean, that was disturbing in its own way. But those were adults. They were doing it to yeah. themselves. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I mean, there was that one, and then the, you know, Mother yeah, Love, again. Of God. Like, you could kind of, like, get behind, but yeah, it's just the idea of these 20 children sleeping yeah. on a floor every night, children, working 12 hours a day. Children being abused, children being traumatized. Uh, yeah, no, it's way, this is way worse. This is way mm. worse, um, in my yeah. opinion. But anyway. All in the name of one, you know, one person who's desperate for power. Well, and also I love too how they just keep changing who the prophet is. You know, yes. <laughs> it's like how many prophets, we went through like 10 prophets in this, mm-hmm. in this show. And it's like, I'm yeah. sorry, it can't just be that easy to just, mm-hmm. oh, now I'm the prophet. No, you're the prophet. Don't people catch on and say, um, I don't know. This doesn't seem right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, that's why they indoctrinate indoctrinate their children, mm-hmm. right? You can't, I mean, that's the whole thing about they're wondering, like, why aren't we getting converts? And the, the thing is, is that the majority of the people that are following them are in this family. Yeah. Like, you have to give birth to your converts right. because those are the only people that are going to believe half the yeah. crap that you're that's saying. That's why they them. have so many kids, because we need more converts or not, you know, or the original yeah. converts. Yeah, the door to door isn't working, yeah. you know, and so I don't know. I just I just hate that, you know, that some of these people are getting so much camera time, I guess. I just, uh, y- you know, they're so evil. I know their stories need to be told and Anna and Celia's story needs to be told. Absolutely. Um, I'm just I'm just sick of the Irvils of the world. Yeah. I just am. Well, I'm just so sick of you. Luckily, all, um, most of the bad people in this are dead. So or in prison yeah. for a long time. Okay. Anywho, well, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Good times. It was interesting. I learned a lot. I'll say that. Yeah. I learned a lot. Yeah. And I, yeah, I do. And I think it's, I, I definitely think the ties to Christine and Christine's family mm-hmm. is very, very interesting and how woven in everybody is this world. Um, and uh, just, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're mm-hmm. going to talk about Christine's, you know, happy, happy, happy wedding. And I'm just kind of <laughs> now Christine has really just become such an enigma to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe all that happiness is how she deals with the stuff she was exposed to as a child. Maybe that's her coping mechanism, because clearly her mother described her time when she was married, which was Christine's childhood as yeah. being hell. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, how could how could Christine not have um, received the at least the stress and the chaos and the trauma like of, you know, and, yeah. and say, well, I had a great childhood. My childhood was wonderful. And then now it's calling into question um, how I feel about Rex, you know. Last mm-hmm. week, we were talking about how cute he was at the wedding and how sweet and whatever. Well, this is the man who made Annie's life hell, mm-hmm. that she had to leave him. This mm-hmm. is a man who, um, you know, is the son of Rulon Allred. So, and I think he's quite a bit older than um, Christine's mom. I'm not. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Christine's mom said she was pregnant when she graduated from high school. Which means he probably married her when she was under 18. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I don't know if that was even her first child. When, so, yeah. I mean, now this really rocked my world. Uh, now oh, I, I don't gosh. know what to think about these people. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, because sorry. <coughs> no, I'm choking to death. Oh, my God, it's Irvel. He's coming. <laughs> he's, he's in the grave. <laughs> You're on the This is my list. blood atonement. Yes. <laughs> this is my blood atonement. Um, Brooke will be doing the show now by herself. Um. That, uh, that, you know, when we saw the episode where Christine and Janelle went back to see her family, mm-hmm. right? And she describes, I have such a great childhood. The two brothers yeah. that were there, they very much were like, no, mm, really? really? What are you, you know, and about? I'm, I, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. The more you see, like everybody around you, Christine, seems to have the same story and you're, you know, um, yeah, got rose colored glasses on. So. Literally. All right. Well, thank you so much. If Oops. you're still listening, God bless you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you are a fan. And I have to say, because um, we've had so many technical problems and so much stuff because we were switching over platforms and it was just, a, it was so heartwarming as much as we were stressed out over here because producer Steve was going crazy, <laughs> but it was so heartwarming to see how many people reached out and were like, where's the podcast? <laughs> yeah, are and you like, okay? Oh my gosh, are you okay? <laughs> I didn't even think people cared that much. <laughs> yeah, it was very was sweet. Nice. So, you know, everybody, we sorry that this all got disrupted. It was just, it was a series of mishaps. Some not our fault, some our fault. <laughs> and, um... Yes. And so we're safely transitioned over to this new platform. So hopefully everything should be running smoothly from here on out. But we really do appreciate all of you who reached out and talked to us and told us and, and, and just cared. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. We do appreciate our our loyal listeners. And if you enjoy this podcast, then if you haven't already, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. And you don't even have to leave a review. Just the five-star rating really helps because, mm-hmm. you know, the more people who review the show, um, the more it helps the, the algorithm or whatever it is so people can find the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever they're mm-hmm. looking. And so it just, if you have a minute to do that, we would really appreciate it. And please give us, um, continue to give us feedback on social media. We're on um, Instagram and TikTok at Psych Legal Pop. And you can also send us a email if you prefer that, psychlegalpoppodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We always love to get um, show ideas and know what people are into and want to hear. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if, Oh, go ahead. And if we don't respond, it does not mean we everything is read and listened to. We absolutely go through everything. Um, I think because there's two of us, there's always this thing of like, oh, well, I thought you were going to respond. Yeah, oh, we I'm responding. You know, so a, we got to get a better system. But I will say, everything is read. We appreciate everything. So if if for whatever reason we're we're not giving you a response, it it please, it doesn't mean that it wasn't read. I just want people to know that. Yeah, like, and we'll get better at it. We're 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 yeah. doing a lot of. Um, changes and exciting changes and trying to grow the podcast and we're trying to get better and you know (laughs) we're we're still on a high learning curve you know we've been doing this for over a year and it's been more successful than we ever thought and Mm -hmm. but we're still learning and so we are growing the podcast so one more favor my final favor if you know someone in your life who you think would like this episode or any of our episodes please send it to them 
You can just forward mm-hmm. it from the iPhone. Your phone. Wa- Brooke does that all the time to me. Yes. <laughs> she's, she's always sending me podcasts. Yes. And I appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, if they don't like it, then they can just delete the, the text. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a big buy-in, you know. So mm-hmm. if you can share it with somebody, uh, at least one friend um, this week, we would appreciate that too. All yes. right. Awesome. So we will, um, we, oh, and just to let you know, we'll be back next week. Uh, when this comes out, you will have already mm-hmm. heard the um, la- very last, uh, the recap of the very last Sister Wives, Christine's Wedding Part 2. Mm-hmm. So next week on Tuesdays, we are going back to our Sister Wives Rewind. We are picking mm-hmm. up on Season 6, Episode 1. So if you want to watch that, um before next yes. Tuesday. And we also have all of the old episodes. We have seasons one through five that are all in the archives. I think yes, in the feed. In the feed. And yeah. I'm trying to remember when we started doing it. I feel like it was around the end of 2022, like right after season 17 stopped. I think we, start, we yeah. started doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go check that out. And uh, thanks so much. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com